Welcome to JB Squared. I'm JB Hager, along with Johan Bernil, and we're going to look at stage 17 of the 2023 Tour de France, where things just exploded today, if you haven't watched. I know a lot of you actually listen to the show and you haven't watched the race, which still fascinates me, and we appreciate you doing that. But uh, Johan will have some insight into um, maybe what's going on with Tadej Pogacar, all right? Because it was a, it was a rough day. If you haven't seen it, we'll get into all of that and talk about the stage winner on the Queen's stage. That's all coming up on JB Squared. All right, let's start out, uh, Johan, talking about Felix Gall. This is a name that is just come on strong this season. He's still a young rider, twenty five years old, and uh, winning the the Queen's stage. Like a big, big win and a big and a win for AG2R, a French team. Uh, we talked about Felix Gall a week or two ago. Like he's he's not been hiding for two weeks and then wins this. So I would love your thoughts on this guy. Yeah. Um, amazing, amazing win, as you say, JB. You know, this stage, to be able to win this stage, even from a breakaway, everybody knew that this was going to be a big challenge because that last climb, the Col de la Loz, is so hard, 28 kilometers, and the last seven, eight kilometers are super steep at high altitude above 2,000 meters. So whatever advantage a breakaway would have within three or four minutes at the bottom of the climb was never going to be a guarantee to win the stage. And and that that's the, that was that's what happened. Now, Felix Gall was obviously in the breakaway together with... I mean, we got to a point today in the Tour... And you you often see that that and especially in mountain stages that the the amount of riders are in the breakaway or more than the actual main group of pelot the, the, the of favorites the breakaway was bigger than the peloton, um, but you know all all really good riders you know Felix Gall, Ala Philippe, Simon Yates, Rafael Maika, Peyo Bilbao, David Godu, Thibaut Pinot, a uh, bunch of really strong climbers who had double intentions you know some of them wanted to win win the stage and then some of them wanted to try to win the stage but also improve their overall placing uh some of them wanted to get into the top 10 and then for other guys like for example Peyo Bilbao wanted to improve his um his his placing i think he's now in 6th uh still has an option to get in 5th or 4th even um so yeah, I mean, um, for Felix Gall to be in that group, he you could see during the stage he had, I think he had two teammates with him, uh, and they did an amazing job, uh, AG2R today, to keep the breakaway going, and then also at the end to uh, Ben O'Connor. Today was you know once fourth in the Tour de France a few years ago. Today was the super domestique. Amazing how that guy was doing the job, and they knew that Felix Gall would be their guy. Um, Let's not forget Felix Gall. Um, I think it's his fourth season professional, so he turned professional quite young. Was on uh, on DSM before their development team. Back then, it was called Sunweb. Uh, and then he was two years on that team. Now it's his second year on AG2R, but he only got his first professional win one month ago in the Tour of Switzerland. <laughs> right, um, and there he showed that. When it's just climbing, he's one of the best. 
He has some trouble descending and he has huge problems in time trials, which he showed also in the Tour of Switzerland, a disastrous last day. But um, in this Tour de France, I think they approached the Tour with him really well. I heard the interview of his team manager, Vincent Lavenue, who said that, you know, we wanted him to be relaxed, not stress about the overall. Um, but now he came into the top 10 and he won the the hardest stage of the tour. So for AG2R, this saves their whole Tour de France. This is like, you know, they have AG2R and Citroën and other long lasting partners already. Uh, and for them, the tour is everything. You know, it, it's it's a, winning winning a stage in the tour. I could see that last year when Bob Jungels won a stage, it was incredible. And we've seen we've we've seen the emotion in the Netflix series. I, I guess you know about AG2R and their director, but this beats even beats it. This is like okay, you know, the most difficult stage in the tour over the highest top. Uh, the Col de la Lose, 2,300 meters, souvenir Henri de Grange, uh, they call it. Um, so yeah, for them, it's it's amazing. But Felix Gall, hats off to him. You know, he uh, he had a plan. He went with six, seven kilometers to go from that breakaway. Let's not forget, he dropped Simon Yates, David Godu, Thibaut Pinot, and Rafael Maika. Uh, so, you know, those guys are super, super good climbers. So to drop these guys and keep them off. And then uh, afterwards, if you see that he was of the whole race, the second fast, fastest rider up the last seven kilometers of Col de la Lose, that shows you what an incredible performance he has done. You know, only Jonas Vingegaard went faster than Felix Gall on the last seven kilometers of that steep climb. So um definitely a really really amazing performance and uh yeah i mean it's it's a pure climber so um we're we're gonna see more of him in the future he just needs to work on his descending today he did a good job uh that this that downhill was a, a bit yeah, worried me a little bit because simon yates was only 15 or 16 seconds down on the top of the climb and said you know well he's going to get caught in the downhill, you know, with his history of mm -hmm. not descending very well. But Simon Yates then after we said, you know, that he was cross-eyed when he was so tired that he couldn't descend really uh, any faster either. So at that point it was man against man and yeah, hats it, off to it, him. It makes you wonder if, if uh, you know, the Sunweb and then DSM development team picked him up. They clearly saw some huge talent in him. Then he goes to them for two years and then you, makes you wonder if in that two years time uh, that he was on their team, coming from their development team, they just didn't see that it was going to come to fruition. Well, I think, you know, I would have to look back, but I can, I can almost anticipate that this is what happened with Felix Gall. You know, he must have been a really good climber in the under 23 category, uh, but just a climber. And then when you come to the profession, so obviously in all the races in the under 23 category, when you're good in the mountains, you're automatically in the front mm -hmm. because you're so strong, right? But in professionals, that's not the case. I mean, you are so messed up already. If you're not handy on the bike or if you can't ride in a peloton or if you're suffering with crosswinds or on downhills, that he, the guy must have been already toast whenever he got to the final climb and didn't get any results. Mm. Um, because so he didn't, now, he didn't have all the essential skills he needed 
prior to the climb. Exactly. Yeah. He, so he was, he was already empty because he had to do so much effort. So he was in a wrong position or, you know, if, if you get to the professionals that it's, it's a whole different game in terms of riding skills. Uh, and especially these typical climbers, they get to the forefront in the under 23 category automatically. But then when they get to the pros, it's, it's war. Uh, and you know, so I, I, I think that's probably what happened with Felix Gall that he could not show his qualities as a climber because he was already empty before he had to come to the last climb. Mm. So he's improved, uh, but we could still see, uh, you know, a lack of skills, especially in the tour of Switzerland. I was really surprised to see that he was so bad in the time trial. <laughs> Uh, no, it was unbelievable. The guy was basically, I think he was in second place or he, I don't know if he was, he was maybe even lead. No, he wasn't leading. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, um, he was, I think he was in second place overall and he was like 70 or something in the, in the last time trial. So that, that can never happen. This, in this tour, actually he did a lot better. He did a, re, he did a decent time trial. I think he was up there, like in between 10th or 15th. So it was okay. obviously it was a, it was a hard time trial. And at the end of a grand tour, it's not just the skills, but it's the physical freshness. Um, and so he did, uh, he did a great time trial. He's now in, um, let me see. He is trying to find it here now. He's in, uh, yeah, he's in eighth place. So he gained two places. That's, I mean, he's probably most likely going to stay there. You know, I mean, there's only, there's one stage left for the GC. So I can't see any, can't foresee any problems, him losing time there. So top 10, um, winning a stage and, and let's not forget, he is in second place in the KOM after today. Because there was 40 points on top of the Col de la Loz. He's only six points behind Giorgio Ciccone. So that's going to be a very, very interesting battle still in the la in the second in the stage 20 for the KOM. All right. I know uh, most people are going to spend more time on Jonas Vingago looking exceptional again today, just like he did yesterday in the time trial. But I think you wanted to focus more on Pogachar, his season. The classics, well, the, the broken the wrist. Yeah. And and you see things in his face. Something's really off. It's the story of the day, uh, JB. You know, the, the fall through of Tadej Pogacar. Yesterday, we could see that, okay, Vingegaard was on another level. That's for sure. Uh, but, and I think it shows that the talent and the class of Pogacar, you know, like he was, he was still second in the time trial. <laughs> He put a minute 15 into Walt Van Aert and a lot more in the rest. But you could see that something is off. You could see already yesterday, you know, when he was going through that last time split, the, the look in his eyes, looking at that board, the emptiness, um, and also, you know, the, the, the facial expression. And there was something off. I think today we saw that confirmed. Um, you know, we have a few images here that 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 show that 
he's really wearing the mask of suffering uh and that something's not there you know that 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 brightness that normally he has in his face is really gone um i personally think that and he's carrying some kind of sickness around already a few days you know yesterday if we look at uh, the the other picture here on the on the podium of the of the time trial you can see he has a cold sore which is already there since a few days so obviously that means that you're empty you're depleted your immune system is down and uh something's not right and and, and if you look at at today's performance um he was dropped first first of all he was there for, he, for, let's not forget he had a crash in the beginning of the stage not good but okay you know they didn't report anything so it could have been just you know just went down and it didn't really uh bother his his performance but then all of a sudden he goes when when uh jumbo visma was pulling in in the beginning then all of a sudden ineos comes to the front to protect the place of Carlos Rodriguez, because you have Peyo Bilbao in the front, you have Simon Yates in the front, that those guys started to threaten the fourth place of Carlos Rodriguez. Of course, Ineo starts to pull, Jumbo doesn't do anything. You have, um, what's his name? Uh, um, Jonathan Castro Viejo setting the tempo. A good rider, but not necessarily one of the top 15 climbers in the tour. Then uh, Carlo, uh, Jonathan Castro Viejo peels off. Then you have Ma Mikhail Kwiatkowski setting the pace for Carlos Rodriguez. With all due respect to Kwiatkowski, but if Kwiatkowski sets the pace, that's a pace that normally 20, 30 riders in the main group will be able to maintain. And that is when Pogacar goes to the back. Next thing we see, jersey all open. Next thing we see here, like you see in my background, Pugacar is dropped and can hardly follow Mark Soler, who comes from the from the front. So that's not his level. That's why I'm saying there's something not right. Uh, uh, I can personally personally not think that Pugacar today started the stage with the conviction and the belief that he could turn this around. Because if you're like this, you feel this already. He, he, I think he was empty yesterday, must not have had a good night's sleep, did not recover, and today was just a shadow of himself. You know, it was, uh, this is not the level of Tadej Pogacar. Uh, he got dropped without there being an attack. Uh, normally, you would say, okay, if Sepp Kuss takes over uh, for, for Jonas Vingegaard and ups the pace and prepares an attack for, for Jonas Vingegaard and he gets in trouble, I can say, okay. But not when one of the domestiques of Ineos is setting the pace for Carlos Rodriguez. That's not that's not normal. Yeah, you wouldn't. I'm guessing you would not be surprised at all if the team doctors in, in UAE announced that he has some kind of virus or stomach yeah. bug or something. There's something. There's yeah. there there is something. There's something, JB. Um, there's something not right. Um, I mean, I also saw. Uh, at the finish, um, don't know if you saw it. When he came over the finish, you know he that was really painful to watch actually because that last 600 meters was on, on that 
you know, little airport. Normally, these these mountain airports are always on a steep ramp, right? Uh, Jersey Open, he could barely make it to the finish. I don't know if you saw it. He had this kinesios tape on his stomach, which is also something that... Yeah, I, I didn't... That's the kind of tape you see people doing around their knees quite a yeah. bit, on their hamstrings. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know what so, was going on there. So, you know, I mean, there's something not... These are all obviously things that... Those are band-aids for certain little things that are not right. Um, we don't know what it is, but personally, I think he's not healthy anymore. And and I would not be surprised that we get the news that Pogacar all of a sudden, not maybe today, but in the next days, that uh, he is he's out of the race. Uh, something's not something's not right. Mm-hmm. I mean, hopefully he recovers, and it would be amazing if he can still, you know, go for stage twenty and attack and try to win the stage. It would be amazing. But uh, once you're that low, it's difficult to recover physically and especially mentally because for him right now it's this is a huge blow you know i mean i i you know i blame his i mean i'm not gonna blame, I, I i would not want to be in the shoes of his team directors to you know talk to him and try to cheer him up and you know what what do you say you know yeah um it's it's not easy because at this point everybody's tired and tried to keep this guy in the race. You know, he's in second place, but uh, this is not what he came for. Today's show is brought to you by one skin. I've added this to my daily routine. And as I've told you before, uh, at the urging of my daughter, she's like, dad, you're always out in the sun and we're always out on the boat on the lake. And she's like, you're not taking care of yourself. All right. And so I wish someone had like had that uh, brutal talk with me 20 years ago. I probably would have aged a lot better. But uh, now I'm using one skin, two products. One that's just daily all over my face. And then one that really helps with the, the bags under my eyes. But what's interesting, and the scientists at One Skin found the OSO1 peptide can reverse a skin's biological age. And it can also reduce a number of zombie cells. They're called uh, senescent cells by up to 50%. And this is what's interesting. They spent five years testing almost a thousand peptides and they landed on the OS1. And this has been clinically tested and clinically proven to uh, strengthen the skin barrier and significantly decrease visible signs of aging. Give it a try. Add it to your routine. Take care of your skin. If you're listening to this, I know you're probably out in the wind and the sun on your bike a lot. And this will treat your skin so much better uh, that you can get 15% off with the code JB2, JB squared at oneskin.co. Again, that's 15% off at oneskin.co with the code JB2. Today's show is also brought to you by Ketone IQ. Uh, that's by uh, HVMN. And, you know, all of us here at the We Do Crew have been using them. And this is, I started a few months ago. Uh, is part of my daily routine, taking it every morning. And I can tell you a few things I've noticed. One, I used to be a four or five cup of coffee drinker. Since I started doing ketone IQ first thing in the morning, I have a cup of coffee. One, 
So I'm not having that big bonk. And I've also noticed it out here when we have this heavy load during the Tour de France, we're putting out four shows a day. What would typically happen to me, and again, this is our seventh year doing this, we would get done with all the shows, I get back to the house and I would just be bonked. I just wanted to crash so hard. Uh, now I get home, I'm fine. I'm ready to move on, ready to go do some stuff, go for a ride, go downtown, hang out, do whatever I want to do. I don't have that bonk. Uh, and I've also shared with you how I just feel in general, how it's helped with clarity, sharpness, uh, just feeling better all around. Try a subscription, give it three months or so. And you can get 30% off that first subscription order of Ketone IQ at hvmn.com slash the move. Last but not least, I want to tell you about our friends at Ventum. Uh, I now have had an NS1 for a couple of years, just picked up the GS1 a few months before heading out here uh, to Colorado to do this. I've enjoyed writing both of them for different reasons. Uh, and, you know, I know our audience too. You guys like uh, any excuse to, to add another bicycle to the quiver. If you haven't tried the GS1, you can do it as low as $29.99 with the SRAM Apex AXS. But if you have a, a personal preference of how you want to build out your bike, you want to upgrade that, you can uh, certainly do that. It's very easy to do online, very easy to go through all the details, pick all the components you want and enjoy it. And I'll give you another little fun fact here. You know, you hear us joking about Spencer. He's a numbers guy, the propeller head, as we call him. Uh, he rides the same size bike as me, took my GS one when he was here this past weekend. And he said, Hey, I just had my second fastest time up uh, Maroon Bells on your gravel bike, comparing it to all my road bike trips up this very same climb. So take it from him. He's a numbers guy, trust me. And he was really impressed at how well the gravel bike rides on the road as well. So uh, go check it out, build out your own bike and uh, you'll get 10% off when you use the code WEDU at checkout. And you can do all that at VentumRacing.com slash the move. This, this is a great time to get your take on this. Uh, Johan, we, we talked about on the move, looking at his season as a whole. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is like Flanders, Flesh, and Amstel. And I was thinking about it, too, just before we started here. I was like, had Pogacar not won the Tour de France twice, and he comes in the season, wins three of these classics, and is second in the Tour de France, most amazing season ever. But if yeah. you've won the Tour, you've won the Tour, and that's the bar. It's, that's the thing. That's the thing. I mean, listen, I mean, what he did in the spring, JB, is incredible. For me, his victory and especially the way he won Tour of Flanders stands out. You know, he won Amstel, he won Flesh. You could expect that from a rider like Pogacar. But winning Flanders and the way he won it and basically playing with the two best riders in the world for that race. Walt Van Aert and Mathieu van der Poel, he did whatever he wanted with them in their own backyard. That was that takes a world-class rider, a champ. And on top of that, if that's an ex to the France winner, that is only Eddie Merckx who was able to do this. Winning the Tour and winning the Tour of Flanders. Nobody else has done it ever mm. before. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so then we were saying, yeah, you know, this is amazing. Yeah, but I, JB, on the 19th of February, we did a podcast about Tour of Andalusia and, and a bunch of other spring races. And there, I remember, I don't remember my exact words, but I was critical about the management of Team UAE. I said, you know, this is fine. This is great. But this is Ruta del Sol. Uh, he, he, was in, he was in amazing shape already, but they wanted to try to win all five stages. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know if that's him who wants to win it or if it's the team. But if it's him, then I, and I remember I said, you know, there needs to be somebody there who manages this guy and says, okay, today, fine. It's great that you're, you're in good shape, but hey, this is February. This is only the Ruta del Sol. Who knows now that he won the Ruta del Sol in almost all the stages? Who knows that he won this and this and this race? And, and, and that's... Um, you know, and this this goes completely separate from his wrist injury, right? We that I said it then, and I've said it during the whole spring, even at Tour of Flanders. You know, and and I, I know George talked about it in on the move, but it's true. We met Mauro Gianetti at the start of Tour of Flanders. You know, and he was the big favorite for the to, for for that race, and I still say, you know, I mean against Van der Poel and Van Aert. I mean, yeah, but he says, you know what? He wants to win every single race. Tour of Flanders is a big goal. It's super nice to win. I mean, it's unique to win. And it's probably historic for him. You know, he already won the Tour. Now he won the Tour of Flanders. But then I'm thinking, JB, what about his sponsors? You know, Team UAE is a team they want to be the best in the world they want to be the best in the world in any in everything yeah they wouldn't have gotten into cycling unless that was the plan like to build yeah. a tour de and france what's the champion. best in the world is winning the tour and especially after you've won two times the tour de france there's nothing else than winning the tour again and again and again that's going to match you know this it's it's now if it, let's say if we stop the season now, any team, any rider would say, this is our greatest season ever. You know, we won this, we won Paris-Nice, we won Flanders, we won Amstel Gold Race, we won Flesh Wallon, we won this. But not them and not Pogacar. Once you've won the Tour and you've won it several times, only winning the Tour again or let's say he does another season and he doesn't do the tour and wins the Giro uh, and the Vuelta. That's the only thing that can match winning the tour. And so we all know, JB, that when he won the tour in 2020 and he won the tour in 2021 in Dubai, they have this the tallest building in the world, the Burj Khalifa. It was lit up with in the colors of Team UAE and Tadej Pogacar in the yellow jersey. <clears throat> That's not happening when you win the Tour of Flanders. Yeah, I <laughs> I mentioned that I think yesterday. Well, they they take such pride in lighting up that building. I couldn't remember the name of it in my head at the moment. I kept thinking Wiz Khalifa. I'm like, no, that's a rapper. <laughs> Mia Khalifa? No, that's a porn star. <laughs> Burj Khalifa. Yeah, Bush that's Khalifa. that. Burj Khalifa. 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 Burj Khalifa.
Yeah, and it's that to your point. That is that is the UAE the showing that the, the world that we we can dominate. This is the only picture that counts. I mean, at least that's what I take away from it. You know, I mean, and with all due respect, you know, they have an amazing team and they have really good riders and and they did really good races. But at the end of the day, I can, if I go back, JB, to the postal years, you know, we won the tour in 99. And then we won, I mean, I mean, as, at least as far as I've seen it on the road, if you look if you look on certain internet sites, that it, it, it didn't happen, but still, it, it did happen. <laughs> right. We won 99, 2000, 2001. From then on, JB, there was never, never any season where I could have imagined not winning the tour and our sponsors being satisfied. Once you are in that, you need to win as much as you can. If you, Being second is a failure. Well, and even this, even with you as a director and you continued on with other programs, that was the expectation of you as well. Yeah. You're, the, you're the Tour de France, you know, the master of that. That same mm -hmm. pre, that same weight was on your shoulders no matter what team oh, you were. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because 2007 we won, 2009 we won uh, after Lance had retired, right? But, uh, but yeah, I mean, something, uh, you know, I think I think personally – and let's not forget, you know, to to his credit and to the credit of of you, Team UAE. Let's not forget the biggest problem in all of this, of course, has been his crash in the Baston Liège, his recovery, his surgery, his recovery needed to heal up, and his time trial race basically to get ready for the tour. You know, he was doing a race against the clock to be ready for the tour, so that's far from ideal. Um. But I think independently of this, this super focus on the spring and being at such a high level uh, compromises your your chances in July. You know, and, and we said it already. If you look at Jonas Vingegaard, he started. He also was good because if 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 Pogacar starts racing and he's at 75, 80%, he's also going to be in the front. Now, he can win Ruta del Sol. Uh, but, you know, if you want to be top, top, top in those spring classics, you need to be 100%. And Jonas Vingegaard has started also one, you know, Paris-Nice, he was a lot less than than you, than than Pogacar. He kept building, building. And if you look at the Dauphiné, he was strong, but he was not at his top. He didn't he didn't even win the time trial. A teammate of today Pogacar, Mikkel Bjerg, won the time trial. And that that's not the same Pogacar we see we're seeing now. This is the guy who's on the top, and this this one curve towards your maximum, in my opinion, works uh, better than these two peaks. Now one peak to be top top in the classics, then rest a little bit, and then come back. And then on top of that, the added problem of Pogacar that his dropping down of the curve was paired with that wrist injury, which you know. Let's not forget, you know, it's easy to say now, yeah, yeah, they they made these mistakes. I think they made mistakes, but the main reason is the wrist injury. Uh, you know what might shut everybody up is if he, he goes home, gets healthy, and shows up <laughs> and wins the world championships. Everyone would go, oh, my God. <laughs> well, first, 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 we're going to see, we're going to see, uh, 
how he can recover now. You know, I mean, once you're in the if you're in the tour and you're empty, and you keep dragging yourself, uh, it's physically it's hard, but especially mentally. I think the most important challenge for him is going to be how he can recover mentally from the Tour de France. And then, yeah, of course, the World Championships is a different race. You know, it's a hard race always. It's a long race, but it's completely different. It's countries. You know, yeah, there's strong. There's a strong Dutch selection. There's a strong Belgian selection. The Danish are strong. Uh, you know, Slovenian team is is they have good riders, but they're I don't think they can match these big mm. strong selections. But uh, but yeah, I mean. Listen, I mean, if 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 he, I mean, he's not going to win the tour, that's for sure. If he could come back and be world champion, that would be that could save a season. Actually, that saves a season <laughs> because that winning actually, winning three classics just not enough. I'm sorry. Then no, but then then that's the look. I said the only thing is the tour. I'm gonna I'm gonna take that back. The world champion, they, no, the the rainbow on the Bush Khalifa. They would put that on there. Yes. Yeah. That would save it for what you were just describing earlier, the sponsor's exactly. expectations. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I know another thing you wanted to talk about uh, was the your frustration with some of these places on the course where it gets jammed up. We we can show you some some video here for those of you watching of how we, we've seen it again and again, this tour where the cars can't get through, the motos can't get through. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, and it's affecting uh, the riders. Yeah, well, today it it didn't affect the outcome, right? Uh, but it it should not happen. I mean, what we saw, for example, on the Jouplan, which was everybody knew on beforehand that the Col de Jouplan a few stages ago, that was going to be a very very important climb. The, uh, there was a, bon a bonification on top. It was one of the hardest climbs of the tour. I mean, there's no fencing. I mean, there's fence. There was fences. I think the last 100 meters, and then the last three 400 meters, there's little sticks, wooden sticks in the in the in the ground with a little rope. Uh, today, we saw the same thing on the Col de la Lose, the most important climb of the whole Tour de France. Um, and you see once again the same. I, I just checked the images again. I wanted to be sure. There was no fence. There was like no hard fence. Again, those little sticks and the rope. Obviously, you can't contain all these people with those little ropes. They're gonna they're gonna go so narrow. So now that sounds like those are like the ropes you put around like a a an area of a golf car course that needs repair. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> not, not to contain exactly. people, drunk yeah, people. <laughs> no, it's like a little ribbon, whatever it is. So, you know, I, I'm saying it's not. The fault of the motorbikes. It's not the fault of the cars. For example, on the Juplan, the jury made a decision and they kicked out those two motorbikes for one day. So not 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 such a big deal. But anyway, they kicked out these people. It's not their fault. Yeah. The only responsible here is ASO. They are responsible to provide a stadium for the athletes and the spectators. To watch and the athletes to do their job, uh, they know that they're on climbs. Uh, you know, the, what would it take for to at least do the last kilometer where you know where this is going to happen? The last two kilometers of important climbs to just do hard fencing. It has been proposed to ASO, uh, and their answer is 
in my opinion, the most ridiculous answer that somebody could come come back with is, yeah, you know, we can't do that because logistically it requires so much infrastructure to bring all these things up there with seven or eight new trucks, extra trucks. So it would impact our carbon footprint. Mm. I mean, come on. You can't find anything better than that. Really? <laughs> Electric truck. <laughs> It's no, that's just, it's that's just yeah, that's an excuse not to do no, it. It's not, it's not, it's not acceptable. It's not acceptable. And this is ASO now. Unfortunately, ASO rules cycling. It's not the UCI, it's not the riders, it's not the sponsors, it's ASO. They do whatever they want. I have never, ever, ever seen any sanction being put on ASO for. In unsafe environment, for example, you know, other 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 organizers have had to, you know, change and they got fined. ASO never, never, and and it will never happen. So I think it's you know, especially with with the amount of resources they have to see this happening on these important climbs is completely unacceptable. And uh, I mean, these images are just you know not at all. A promotion, you know, not good publicity for what should be, was this, in my opinion, the most beautiful sport in the world. All right, let's talk about tomorrow and who mm -hmm. you expect it to see. Uh, we, we might get another good look at, at Jasper Philipson, who's been I think the, so. the dominant sprinter of this tour. Well, I think so, and especially JB. Now that you know, a bunch of a bunch of sprinters have gone. You know, the, um, it's. It's well, it's 185 kilos. It's kind of a long stage, so deep into the but you know, breakaway is there's gonna be a breakaway, but normally they should be able to bring it back together. They're gonna to go for a bunch print, Alpes in Phoenix, maybe also Jacob Alula with, with Grunewagen. I mean, they're you know, they're there, they're you know, they're they're close to a stage win all the time. So I think Bunch Print and Philipson normally should get this. You know, Cavendish is home. Um, Jakobsen is home. Um, Bauhaus. Um, but Peterson is still there. So Peterson could be a candidate. Although I think he had a hard day today. Um, so yeah, Bunch Print, I think, JB and, and logical favorite, um, Jasper Philipson. I think he's also one of the guys who probably got the best through the mountains, which is important. You know, I mean, he's in great shape. So he has suffered less than all these other sprinters mm -hmm. to get over the mountains. Um, and he still has Matthew van der Poel as his lead out guy, who I think is getting back into form. Um, he was in that main group today for a very, very long time. So he must be feeling okay. Well, Walt Van Aert be in the mix there? Walt Van Aert, oh, sorry. Sorry, forgot Walt Van Aert. <laughs> yeah, He's, I want him to get a win this tour. He has been... Yeah. Luck has not been on his side. He, he, deserves, he, deserves, he deserves a win. Although, I think, I mean, for tomorrow, he definitely can be up there. If he can beat Philipson, that, that I don't know. Uh, because you can start to see signs of fatigue in Walt Van Aert. You know, he's done so much. That today, for example, he he got he got dropped before we would expect Van Aert to get dropped. 
but he that he had done his, uh, a lot of work already. But uh, but yeah, I mean, he's going to be up there, Wout Van Aert. Um, I still think Philipson is the fastest guy, and it should be if logic prevails, then Philipson wins the stage tomorrow. And you can hear Johan and Spencer break that down even more on outcomes with their predictions for tomorrow. You can get that through your but season pass. We got it. We got it right today with Felix Gall. He was. That's what I heard. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to listen to it yesterday, and that was paid out really well. I'm guessing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, uh, Spencer picked Felix Gall, and I picked Thibaut Pinot to win from a breakaway, and both of them were in the breakaway. So. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, here's uh, our Ventum trivia for a chance to win an NS1 complete road bike. An amazing bike, by the way. And uh, it's just fun. It's free to enter. You can just send in your answers. The question from yesterday was, who is the only person to run a sub four minute mile and complete the tour? That we actually mentioned earlier uh, in this Tour de France. It's Michael Woods, the Canadian Michael Woods. Today's question this should be a very easy one, but as Lance pointed out, if you're younger, you may need to Google it. But who was the first American to win the Tour de France? All right. Look up the answer. Who was the American, the first American to win the Tour de France? And send that answer to trivia at VentumRacing.com. Good luck. And we'll be drawing for that bike on Sunday. A couple of questions for you. Johan uh, says, I really love your show and deep analysis has, has made me understand cycling on a different level. I have a question regarding heart rate monitors. Do, do riders cl- uh, while climbing hide their heart rate on their screen so that a, comp- a competitor can't look at it and see how they are suffering? <laughs> I, I know that every rider has different heart rate zones, but looking at the computer screen while riding uh, might give an insight if they're having a bad day. That's yeah, from, <laughs> I'm sorry if I butcher your name, Matias, Matias, I don't Matias. know. Matias, Matias. Matias, no? M-A-T-J-A-Z. Oh, okay, no, Matias, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. um, no, uh, no, they don't, they don't. Well, I mean, there's obviously there's different, different pieces of information on one screen. Um, as you point out, you know, Art rates are very different, uh, and and let me tell you, uh, it's going to be a lot easier to know that your competitor is on the limit by listening to his breathing, like, <laughs> <laughs> than than look looking at the heart rate. Uh, no, there's no reason to 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 hide that because it's super super individual. Yeah, I just thought it was a fun question. Uh huh. Yeah, and here's another one. Um, please ask Johan to comment on this. It was a quote from Jonas Vingegaard, Vingegaard yesterday. He said, I was riding so well, I thought my power meter was overreading. And he says, I'm, they go on to say, I mean, you know from previous tests, what is your maximum power you can sustain on this course? And now Jonas, in the most important stage, goes 110%. Uh, and rides by feel, risking to blow up. Uh, thank you so much. And P.S. Please tell Johan I fell in love with Belgium since I visited Flanders two years ago, or two years in a row for the Tour of Flanders and uh, Pro Race. Best regards, Andrzej Zvolenski. There you go. 
What were your Wait, thoughts can, on that? Andres can maybe join us next year for our Tour de Flanders, the move. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. So um, Jonas going 110%. Uh, I think personally, you, you know, and that's also what Jonas said yesterday after his time trial. He felt like he was flying. I think he was on one of those days, which you has, which you, as a cyclist, you have very seldom in, in your career that you can just do anything. You're doing something and you're going. And then afterwards, for sure, Vingegaard will, will have said, how the hell did I do this? You know, so there are those kind of days when you're kind of in a state of, you can do anything. And, and to me, it seemed like he was on one of those days. He personally said it was the best day on his on a bike, he, the best he ever felt on a bike in his life. And so then, yeah, I mean, then uh, you kind of have to say, yeah, I need to hold back a little bit. And he was holding back, but he was still going super, super fast. That I think that's the reason also why he went so fast on that last climb, because um, I mean, you could see the moment he started, he was on a mission. The demeanor was completely different than Pogacar. He was, you know, he was going to war. And, uh, and then when you start to hear those split times, it's like, wow. You know, I'm, I'm, this is really happening. You know, I'm, it's not my power meter. This is really happening. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think personally he was, he was on a miracle day yesterday. Uh, whereas today, for example, he was back on a normal day because you could see clearly he did attack at the end, but he wasn't able to follow, for example, Peyo Bilbao on the last, on the last steep part. So I think yesterday he was on a special day and, uh, you can have one or two or three days in your career like this. And yesterday, that's, in my opinion, one of those days. Yeah, that's very good. Because people people remember when things go bad, you know, it, yeah. but when everything's aligned and it all works, that's yeah. No, you, you, there's There are days, every cyclist will have some of those days and say, wow, I don't know how I did this today, but it was amazing. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Johan. If you have a question for Johan for one of the remaining few shows, please send it in JB2, JB squared at we do.team. And we will be back tomorrow, Johan. Thank you so much for your time. Okay, JB.